to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 26th of May 2020 and I have David Rumford with us. Hi David. Hi there, how are you doing Michelle? Great, uh, great to have you on the podcast today and we've invited David along to talk to us about how his business has been affected by the recent change in events in in the world and you know the plans that he's putting into place and, and David's going to be doing an article for us in one of the um, the next magazine on um, looking at how people can make a profit at every stage of the uh, of the property journey when you're buying a property and and all of the different areas that perhaps sometimes are overlooked but obviously within this new context of what's going on so um, for people who don't know you do you want to give us a bit of a background about um, your your story and how you got into property first yeah, sure. So I left the corporate world um, back in 2013, I think it was. Um, but before that, I'd already started putting together a small buy-to-let portfolio, which just literally sort of scraping the funds together to start with. I didn't come into this like with, it, with an initial big pot of cash. Um, it's just literally buying one buy-to-let at a time, refinancing and then moving forward. Um, it wasn't until 20, it was about 2013 when we got involved in a commercial conversion for the first time. And it was on the back of that commercial conversion that I actually left my previous job in the corporate world and went full time into property. And from there, it's been onwards and upwards uh, doing commercial conversions, more recently getting involved in service accommodation and uh, also new build now as well. So uh, it's a real mix of those strategies, starting out with single let, a couple of HMOs, and then get into the more sort of uh, juicy stuff with commercial conversion and uh, new build. Well, hot topic at the moment, commercial conversions. Um, in terms of projects that you've got live at the moment, uh, that are sort of mid-refurb or mid-development. Yep, got- so we've got two projects um, not far off completion at the moment. So uh, both, we, we basically we work in two areas. So I work with two business partners. Um, I live down in Somerset in Bath. They're up in Cambridgeshire. So we tend to have the two areas as our, as our key focus points. And um, the two projects we've got live at the moment are up in Cambridgeshire. One is a new build project building on a brownfield site. Uh, so we're building eight flats or two bedroom. And that's also a joint venture with a landowner. And then the second project is a commercial conversion of an old solicitor's office, also in Cambridgeshire, and converting that into two houses. And um, with both of these a buy to sell model, were you planning on exiting them or was the intention to keep hold of them? So the original strategy on, on both of those was a buy to sell. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, one of the sort of important things we, we do is going into, going into a project like that is always consider all of the exits. Right. So both of those projects had JV partners. And we sat down with, with both partners at the start and said at that time, the hot topic was, was Brexit. Mm-hmm. And we said, what could the impacts of Brexit be? Could it mean a potential downturn in the market as we get towards the end of the project? So we also considered backup strategies such as... Um, do we turn it into a buy-to-rent strategy if the market was to crash, or even uh, a buy-to-rent but own an SA product potentially? So whilst we still want to ideally sell all of those units on both sites, we did consider the, the other potential exit strategies right at the start as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, really important because a lot of the time people look at these projects as a buy-to-sell and you know that the the exit strategy as well you know it might stack up if we really need it but actually you know it's never really an option they want to take so you know when you got into this obviously you know brexit was 
uh, a major kind of factor in thinking about the market and and there was a lot of talk it has been a lot of talk about a dip in the market for a long time now but how much of that exit strategy plays a part in in you taking on a project or you know in, in like, like let's say the last the last year does it um does it have to work as that exit strategy you know comfortably or is it just a kind of worst case scenario it'll still it's kind of still not knowing that if worse comes to worse that you you can come comfortably ish get it get out of it without a big problem if it did have to sort of revert to a buy to hold strategy and um what one key point we found about working with investors going into that at the start with having that conversation you can really preempt you know as if it were as if it was now what would we do yeah and and you've put put yourself in that position already when we've worked previously with um as we, we still do now to be fair but when we work solely with banks it's a very different conversation they go into it they're, they're purely lending you the money and they don't really care if you actually make a profit at the end of it yes they want to see a profit as they lend in their money but if the market crashed as long as they get their money out mm. whether with you as a developer come out of it with a profit at that stage that they're not too worried about so you could see an example where potentially had we done those projects with purely with the bank finance and we don't know yet but it, but if the market does uh, get, take a correction and a, re- and a recession comes shortly then the bank could be saying okay let's have our money out now unfortunately you know mr developer you're not going to make any profit on this one and the, the bank potentially start fire selling the the units off but um having the bank having a smaller degree of the money in these projects or, or in one of the projects they've got some development funds in the other one is completely private finance so with those scenarios even if the bank panic and want all of their money out there's enough i suppose you could say fat in the deal mm-hmm. and to just basically allow us to say okay we'll pay the bank off and ourselves and the the partners can carry forward and convert to a rental strategy okay and uh you know you said you were anticipating a dip did you have a figure in mind to make this work that you know was it like a 10 percent, 20 percent drop and it still has to work or you know how much of that was a factor in the potential dip we, into the numbers we would at the start of this we looked around about sort of like i'd say a 15 percent drop would it still stack up right and we, we felt it could still work at that level um but in terms of where the market's going to go next, obviously it's really hard to call. I've seen all sorts of predictions myself from a potential 30% drop to um, maybe there'll be no difference at all. But with a pent up demand, people obviously working from home as well, wanted to get out and um, maybe live in bigger properties. So, so we really don't know where the market's going to go at the moment, but um, I, I think it's just being prepared for, for all outcomes. When, when you go into a deal, what, what could happen and have your multiple exits lined up Mm. and are there any other exits that you you know that we haven't spoken about as a kind of plan c or d i I think it's um just focusing more on that um service accommodation model as well so we have got some uh, service accommodation units already both in cambridgeshire and in bath and certainly the you know throughout the lockdown period those in cambridgeshire have done uh, pretty well we've had some key workers up there and um you know we feel we've got quite a good handle on on how that service accommodation model works and when you're creating new units you've got a little bit of flexibility obviously what when you're building them with a with in, in mind in terms of your, your exit strategies so you can start thinking okay if we had to let these as 
either rental or serviced accommodation, serviced accommodation units at the end, then um, have a think about what you would do with things like linen. Do, do you create a communal area where you can store linen or those kind of products for, for guests? So it's maybe a little bit of thinking around those kind of items when we set out on a project to make sure that we do have a few things built in. So if it comes to it, we can um, use that model as well. And how is it being logistically on site? Because obviously, you know, I imagine a lot of it's ground to halt, but as things have started to ease up again, um, what I'm seeing is that even though that some sites are opening, the major problem seems to be the supply chains and the actual, you know, the if you can even get hold of materials, the you know, the premium of, of paying for plasterboard is just silly and it you know you begrudge spending <laughs> yeah it's, about 20 uh, times the amount <laughs> yeah it's uh so more expensive than gold at the moment <laughs> yeah, yeah first it was toilet roll and, and yeah. now it's plasterboard. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that you're, you're, you're waiting right for that, the prices to drop or are you just kind of trying to get it done as much as you can even at a higher price we're still trying to push through as much as we can because it's that balance off that if you, if you wait and stand the guys down, obviously your project's going to take longer. Mm. So we're trying to carry on as much as possible. And um, obviously through the lockdown period, it's been uh, quite challenging in terms of making sure we carefully follow government guidelines. But obviously there's there's also the, the mood in the nation that anybody working anywhere on a site, you know, you're going to get almost like rotten eggs thrown at you. Mm. So um, it's been it's been difficult because we're where we're based is not sort of central London. Um, the key point was all of our workers could get to the site independently. So they weren't all coming in, in like a, a builder's van together, for example, or, or on the tube. Um, so we've been able to sort of carry out um, or, or continue through, through the last few months about too much disruption. Um, but also, of course, mindful of government guidelines, reading the riot act to the plumbers and electricians, making sure they, they don't think it's pre-COVID where they could just have a chin wag together over a bacon sandwich. You know, it, yeah. it, been very much they've got to keep their two meters apart work on different areas on the site and obviously when you're creating eight flats for example on one of our projects there's plenty of room there they can work in different areas and it's been more managing that than actually um downing tools as such so it has definitely slowed things down a little bit on site but not so overall that we're falling too far behind the actual completion date so that's been um pretty positive um in terms of materials you're absolutely right it's almost like um what it is it's a backlog so even now when more of the of the population are getting back to sort of some sort of vague normality um it's still a case that the materials are actually probably in shorter supply now than they were you know a couple of months ago because as more, more sites have reopened the remaining stocks in merchants have all been gobbled up and now, now it literally is waiting for manufacturers to replenish the merchants so um we are having very much to try and hop around between jobs on site and do what we can and um hopefully the merchants will be restocking in the, the next week or two and we will um not not lose too much time overall so do you see you're going to be able to complete the project without too much delay or disruption moving forward now we we Hope so providing providing those merchants do restock in the next couple of weeks. The next the next couple of weeks are absolute key. Um, if they don't, then, then we are potentially going to fall a couple of weeks behind. Um, but hopefully, you know, from from what we're seeing now, things are starting to come through. So hopefully, we should be 
more or less in line with where we were expecting to be. Are you hoping to put the, I mean, obviously you're hoping to put the, you know, the project on sale for the price that you wanted originally, or are you tempted to drop the price for a quicker sale? Um, where are your kind of feelings around that? You're waiting to see what happens with, you know, market. It, it's really interesting at the moment. Um, we had a couple of, uh, in terms of a new build site, we had a couple of buyers lined up pre-COVID. And we were very nervous to see if they are trying to renegotiate with us mm. in terms of the purchase prices. To be, to be fair to them, they've stuck to their original prices. Um, so hopefully they're going to be exchanging shortly. Um, in terms of the other six units on, on that site, we are going to still be trying to push for those prices pre-COVID. And um, I think it, it's going to come to a stage where if we see the market moving and, and how much it moves, then it becomes that decision point. We've really sort of do, do want those prices. And if yeah. we can't get them, then do we say, okay, let's, let's relook at this and default to plan B and start looking to retain, um, maybe retain for a couple of years and then try the market again in a couple of years time. So um, at the moment, we probably haven't seen those drops just yet. I think it's probably still quite early days. So at the moment, we are still trying for those original yeah. prices. Well, like you say, at the moment, nothing's changed. So why would you? exactly yeah. yeah yeah and I, I think it's a great position to be in where you don't have to sell you know, exactly you know you're sort of in control of that negotiation process as well you're not going to just let it go key, for, yeah yeah I, I think that's the key thing when buyers come along and test the water a bit mm. we did have one buyer come along who said i'd like to buy up all the remaining units they didn't get to to an actual offer as such but I could see where that was potentially going to go. Yeah. And um, it's just testing the water, I think, with a few developers and just see, okay, are they going to be now you know, desperate to sell and can we put a cheeky offer in? So I think it's just a case of, you know, try and stick to your guns. And as long as you've got a backup strategy in place and you don't have to sell, then then try and, try and keep the prices that you're hoping for. Yeah. If we find as the next few weeks and, and month or two rolls ahead that things do start taking a dip, then you've got to decide at that point, have you got your backup strategy you can revert to? Or do, do you start having to look at some of those lower offers? And do you have any um, sense of, you know, where the market is going in terms of new projects? So did you have any in the pipeline or um, any that you've been looking at that you've been wanting to, to purchase? I, I think, yeah, I think this is um, a really interesting time because um, pre pre sort of COVID as I'll call it, pre, yeah. pre-COVID, um, we were just outbid on a really nice project down in Bath. And it was an old, it was an old sort of pub stroke guest house. And it would have made about 13 or 14 units, potentially for service accommodation. And we just missed out on that one. Somebody put in quite a large bid. And um, in terms of what they paid, it was, we were, we were struggling to get anywhere near the number they paid. But um, we did think afterwards when it went, obviously now the world has moved a bit, um, how that person's maybe may feeling now they, yeah. <laughs> they they paid that price for it. So in some ways, we're, we're, we're glad we did miss out on a deal or two just before. Yeah. And um, I think the next maybe six months to a year is going to be a fantastic time for acquiring commercial property. Um, it, it, it's, it's really interesting what's happened sort of during the lockdown. And we've seen almost by by default, a lot of companies and if you put yourself in the mindset of that company director or or ceo and you start thinking well actually all my team don't need to be in the office and i'm paying either a lot of money per month on on rental or um 
or holding a building as an asset if it's if it's owned, suddenly they start thinking, could we work on maybe half the square footage? Yeah. Can we reduce our you know, the, the assets that we've got? Maybe they just get the team together in a conference hall or bring them in at different stages for group meetings. So I think we might actually see quite a lot of commercial buildings come onto the market in the next maybe six six months to a year. Will you be looking out for another deal, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's still a, still our favourite strategy. Um, we, we've obviously we've, we've been involved in new build in the last year, year or so. But commercial conversion is, is the thing that we've, we've done more than any other. And I think we're probably looking back at towards 2013 times now when we acquired our first commercial conversion. And what was fantastic about that time was it was just coming out of the recession. So you could take a commercial building, convert to residential, and you add, obviously, value by the conversion. But then if you actually pick it up at the right time, obviously, it's very hard to time the market. But if you say... Mm -hmm. If it's going to have planning, for example, that can be an easy six months. Uh, um, if you're then the average sort of conversion maybe takes up to a year to, to convert to residential units. So if you're saying maybe 18 months, then the market can be very different in 18 months than it is today. Yeah. So even if we get a recession on the back of the, the COVID situation, there's a good chance that, that market will have recovered to quite a large degree in 18 months time. Obviously, it can be just the same. It can be flat. But if we can go into the market as, as it opens up with some prices maybe coming coming down a bit, do the convert, go into a more buoyant market, I think it's a really good time to be um, to be then looking at picking up those commercial units. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you feel like there's going to be an oversupply, like a saturation in the market of just all of these all of these offices just being offloaded onto the market? There'll be a saturation as such, but um, if we look at, so what's happened since 2013, we, we the permitted development on commercial residential came in then, but planning, but we were able to use the permitted development uh, angle at the time, because a lot of our competition that would have tried bidding against us for that building went down a permitted development route. But what we've seen since then, a lot of the offices that could have been converted under PD have been sort of gobbled up. So, in the last maybe year or two, there's been far less commercial buildings around for conversion or certainly coming onto the market. So I think they will be definitely coming onto the market in the next six to 12 months. But um, I think there's also that, that pent up demand where people who were looking to get those type of buildings and projects have been looking around for so long that I think um, there's a lot of people there looking to, to jump on that strategy yeah. if those buildings do become available. So the opportunities will be there. But I think um, there's a lot of people going to sort of jump that way as well. Yeah, the potential to be the new flavour of the month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, in terms of the that uh, competition element then, how do you see that commercial, um, are you able to kind of look at commercial uh, deals in a different way than other people? Or do you think that everyone is just going to be trying to do the same thing? I think a couple of things in there. In terms of looking at the buildings, it's always trying to, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it in terms of what you could do with that building, or you could look at it in terms of how you could work with the, the owner of the building. So if we take the, fir the first part there, we uh, purchased a building, and it's the first time we've ever purchased a commercial building that had full planning, because usually when they have planning, they're selling all of the margin out of the project in terms of already acquiring a planning. So the only reason we bought that project was the way that the, the vendor had actually gone about the planning, just hadn't made the most use of the building. 
Right. So our fallback position was, okay, we're, we're going to, or our initial position was, we're going to acquire the building, go straight into planning, put in a new planning application to make far more use of the building. If we couldn't get that, the fallback, and then sort of sell it back. But luckily, get the planning through. We got the, the permit in terms of the planning was going to be, a, believe it or not, a three-story, one-bedroom townhouse. And if I move two years on, that that's we've retained that building and we had the planning permission granted in the end for a four-bedroom, three-story townhouse. So oh. just by taking the planning, tweaking it, looking at it in a different way and juggling the building sort of space around, you can actually make quite a lot more of the building. So you can imagine the GDV on a one-bed townhouse compared to a four-bed townhouse. So I, I say that the, the, two, the two elements to look at, always look at the building and can you look at it in, with different eyes to other people. So there's, there's nothing sort of clever in that as such. It's just be going in there with an open mind and looking at the planning. You don't have to follow the planning that, that's been granted if it has planning. If it doesn't have planning, can you do something different to what your competitors are going to do with it. Um, one thing that helps with that, uh, one of my two partners is a builder by trade. So when we go around the building, you know, we, we are looking at it's good if you go around, around a building, take take a builder with you or an architect that you know and trust, and they can also obviously offer the, the feedback as well. In terms of the, the, the second way we can approach this, um, as I say, the you can work with the, the landowner, and that's something we absolutely love to do. So if we can if we can do that, it you can really uh, take out a lot of the competition because particularly on the back of uh, you know, a mini recession as such everybody's going in trying to secure properties at the lowest possible price if you can separate yourself from from the herd rather than try and sort of get it for as, as low as you can if you can actually work with the landowner or the building owner and the key point is that they're not desperate for the cash today then potentially you can go in there do a joint venture they wait for maybe a year, 18 months for the profit. But on the back of that, they make far more money. Rather than you give the money to the bank for, or, 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 an, or a private individual for the purchase price, you can actually say, hey, do, do we actually need to even purchase this building? Can, can the current owner retain it? You go in there, do a joint venture. Uh, you, you completely change the building to what you want to achieve in the end, full residential um, apartments say eight, 10 apartments, whatever it may be. And then basically at that stage, you sell the units and the landowner gets a bit of profit on top of what he was originally after. So if you imagine, you can go to the, to the, to the owner and say, rather than beat you down on price, could I offer you some extra? And what you'd have paid the bank in the interest, you can actually say, you know, I don't want to work with the bank. I'd rather give you the interest that I'd have paid the bank. Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, you know, I think for a lot of owners, they, uh, you know, that's going to be appealing for them. I, th- I think that's the key point. It's finding the right owner. Yeah. It doesn't work in every scenario mm. because some of the owners need the cash urgently, immediately, and can't wait for that year, year and a half. But if you say put, put in, you know, 10, 15 offers, then usually one of those can work in terms of working with the, with the landowner if you can build that trust up. And a key point in that is trying to get hold to, of the landowner directly and speak to them. Yeah. Obviously, you go through that that wall in the first place of the agent who does not want to let you speak with the vendor directly. It's that sort of protectionism in terms of they don't want to be cut out of the deal. But if you can build it up a bit of a rapport with the agent, assure them that you're not trying to cut them out, but you would like to speak with a, the building owner or the landowner, and even say to them, you're more than happy for them to be at that meeting. So you, you get 
get in a socially distant room (laughs) and um, sit around a a room and just basically put on the table what you're trying to achieve and what you can offer them. And it starts taking you away from your competitors in terms of how you're going to structure that deal. And you can just do far, you can do far more of those constructive deals at this particular point than you could pre-COVID when price has just gone up and up. It's more a case of who could bid the most would secure the building. And it was all about money. Now it's more about creativity. Great. It sounds like you're really positive about the future going forward and looking at it in, in a very, um, you know, practical and uh, an optimistic way. So it's great to hear. Yeah, I think we have to be. Um, the future is going to be the future. So it's how we adapt to it. And we just have to make the most. And rather than, I think, uh, I'm not one particularly likes screwing people down on price. So if you can work with the landowner and offer them more than other people, you know, let's create a win-win for for both parties. I think it's a positive place to be. Absolutely. And for people who have maybe they've thought about getting into the commercial residential conversion world, um, but maybe they haven't taken those first steps, where do you think is a good place for somebody to start at the moment? They see the opportunity that is, you know, about to kind of come upon us and, but they're not sure what the first step should be what i think i would say start on something smaller and depending on what they've done a lot of skills are transferable so depending on what they've done in their their career or previous investments developments if 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 it was their first absolute first project in property i would say start on something quite small a commercial conversion can literally be a shop or an office at the bottom and one flat above that that's still a commercial conversion. So either one one to four five flats is probably the right sort of project to start with. But um, make sure you've got the right team around you. One thing that I that I found when when we started on the sort of small single let house renovations back in 2010, I think it was. Um, we done a lot of the work ourselves at those stages. You know, it was helping with the painting, putting helping put the carpets down. And at that stage, you're literally trying to coordinate everybody. When's the plumber coming? When's the electrician coming? But when you start moving on to commercial conversions, that the team around you is a lot more professional. So it's great that you don't get so drawn in and you rely on those professionals, the architect, the planning consultant, um, the the commercial solicitors, and you listen to those people and take their advice. At the end of the day, the, the the decisions are yours. But it's very important you listen to that professional team around you and they'll guide you through a lot of the potential pitfalls. Well, uh, I think it's a good place to wrap up. So it's uh, been great to have you on and hearing your optimism and wishing you all the best with your projects. And I'm sure you'll be finding some great deals coming forward. So look forward to hearing about those as well. Thank you very much, Michelle. And it's been great to sort of share the information and hopefully it inspires a few people to to think that um, we are actually in a position of positivity. And it's not all negative in the property world. Yeah, like they say that, you know, it's uh, it's always a great time to buy property if you know what you're doing. Yeah, we can buy property in any any cycle. Absolutely. We look forward to um, reading your article as well in the uh, upcoming magazine. So everyone who's listening, do look out for that. And um, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. So take care. Cheers, Michelle. Thank you.